You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you, you just, just want to ask your mom. mom. Welcome to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Renee Sproles. I'm Bonnie Blaylock. And today we are talking about intentionality in marriage. The late Zig Ziglar, the author, salesman, and motivational speaker once said, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is true for almost everything in life, actually, from our careers to our friendships to our goals for our children and especially for our marriages. That's right. Not much happens accidentally. It's really rare to be sitting on the couch watching Netflix and out of nowhere, you're just like, I've got Michelle Obama arms. Look at that. How did that happen? Yeah. (laughs) Intentionality is key. So you've heard us talk about it in parenting over and over again on this podcast. You have goals or intentions for your children's character, their education, their physical abilities, And more. You intend to reach those goals with planning and effort. Kids are not like business projects or retirement accounts. There's a lot of variables there, a lot of personalities, a lot of stuff going on. But we get so much closer to our goals for them when, as Zig Ziglar noted, we're aiming. Yeah, healthy marriages also require intentionality. So I I was thinking about this, the example of aiming a rocket at the moon Mm -hmm. and if, I don't know. I'm so bad at physics. We're both English people, Bonnie. So this is going to be a terrible. All you science listeners, please forgive us for the way we're going to mangle yeah. this scientific. Look away. <laughs> Avert your eyes. Analogy. But if you aim at the moon and you're like just one degree off, when you're first taking off from the earth, you're not that far off of your intended goal. But if as you rise into the sky and go miles and miles and miles and miles up, you find that you're going to miss the moon altogether. Mm-hmm. You're just completely off course by, I don't know how many, thousands, tens of thousands yeah. of miles. And this is so true in marriages. It is. And for the same reason, because the forces of the universe are pulling you in all kinds of directions. They are. And in the <laughs> early years, which is when you're first rising off the earth, mm-hmm. to use our analogy, that it might not seem that big of a deal, right? You're just getting started and you're not that far off course, but as years go by mm-hmm. and your children grow up and leave the home, what do we see? We see a lot of people saying, hey, I don't even know you anymore. They're drifted. Yeah. yeah, they've drifted apart and it's really hard to meet back again to to find that relationship that once was. Right. And I think it's so important for especially newly married young couples who are together to do some groundwork before kids come along, if possible. Sometimes that happens. That is one thing that might happen accidentally <laughs> that you're not planning for. Um, because you do have a little bit of time. You do have a little bit of buffer. But when life gets busy, children enter the picture, uh, it's just a lot harder. There's a less of you to go around um, to work on important things like this. Yeah, and that's when couples fall into a passive approach to their marriage And they wake up one day wondering what went wrong. They operate their marriages in what we call default mode. They just live day to day, letting things happen without planning or direction or effort. And honestly, you may not actually be living in a lot of strife in that default mode. No, it doesn't mean you're fighting all the time. No, you can just be kind of, 
yeah, rolling along. But I'm not for that because it, I, from my perspective now, 30 years in, I don't see that ending well generally. All right. Even if things are going quote unquote good yep. or there's no conflict, you're still needing to tend to some things. Mm-hmm. There's still maintenance that needs to be happening. Yeah. And and so being proactive or intentional within our marriages does not mean we have to make these big, huge, major changes. In many ways, an intentional marriage is one in which small transitions of thought have dramatic impact. You're tweaking the rocket on the way to the moon. Mm-hmm. And um, that tweaking does not mean there is no effort. Right. It's just going to mean some intentional focused conversations, mm-hmm. maybe. Some actions, some right. small things yeah. that you can do. So one of my favorite um, authors in terms of just healthy marriages is Paul David Tripp. Great book that he's written called Marriage, Six Gospel Commitments Every Couple Needs to Make. It's actually a rewrite of a, of a book he did long ago. I uh-huh. can't remember the title of that one. But he uses the example of a garden in terms of our marriages. And he says, you don't plant a garden and walk away. Even if you've done a good job of clearing the land, weeds are going to grow. You've got to till and water that garden. In the same way, you cannot walk away from a marriage and involve yourself in all of these cultural dreams and expect to come back in five years and find your marriage okay. It won't happen. That's right. I remember when you do a garden almost every year and almost every year, we would go away for a vacation in the summertime, just a week. Mm -hmm. And by the time we came back, it was so overgrown and so weedy. Nobody wanted to go out there and harvest the stuff that we'd spent so long planting and tending to at the beginning of the summer. I know. Caitlin, we missed out. are you hearing this? My <laughs> daughter-in-law, she and I planted a garden this summer and we were going to do it together, you know, and take turns because I'm, I'm a real hesitant gardener. I feel like I'm not a good gardener and she's real eager. I'm on, I want to I've yeah. named her our family gardener. <laughs> We've, Emma and I have nominated her. You're going to be our family gardener. But we did. She went to Europe for three weeks, and I was real, real attentive then. And then she came back, and we didn't really communicate. Hey, whose turn is it to go water? Oh, such a good example. Oh, and and it kind of just – all those tomato plants we'd worked so hard on, like – Yeah. Wah, wah. They're not good. <laughs> I know. Yeah, we had black widows under our pumpkins one year, like a whole nest of them. Oh. And yeah, it gets bad real quick. Yeah, yeah. So – we don't want that. We don't want that. We don't want that for our gardens. Let's do better next year, Caitlin. Yeah. But we certainly that. don't want that for our marriages. But the so, troubles that you face, though, in a marriage, in any given marriage, it does not mean total failure. No. It doesn't mean it's the death knell, right? You're simply living in the middle. The Theologians call it the already, but not yet, of God's redemption of the world. He's already given us his word as our guide. Jesus has already rose again for our salvation as King of the universe, and the Holy Spirit is already here to live within us and teach us and guide us. We have all those things. And yet, sin has not been eradicated. We are not fully free from our sin. So suffering, sadness, and death are still part of our everyday lives. So part of living in the already but not yet of God's world means that our troubles are our grace, which seems counterintuitive. (laughs) Yeah. What? (laughs) <laughs> what are you talking about so marriage Paul, this is this is Tripp's perspective he says marriage is designed by God as a means to an end and my perspective is it's a signpost for the world of Christ's love and faithfulness for his church and the church's responsive faithfulness and cooperation with that loving savior 
So it's a tool God uses to help us die to ourselves and rise again to love and serve the other person. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. It sounds like a little bit of work and a little bit of self-discovery and dying to sell. The seeds analogy is perfect though, right? Because that seed dies dies and then it has its life in it. It's it's such a good analogy. That's right. So we would ask you to ask these questions of yourself. Whose kingdom shapes your marriage? Whose kingdom defines your dream? What really makes you happy? What is it that you want so badly for your marriage to be? Could it be? Perhaps that what you thought was love was not really kingdom of God, other-centered, other-service love. Lean in close, listeners. (laughs) Could it be that what you actually wanted was for that other person to love you as much as you do? Ouch! (laughs) Ouch! (laughs) Could it be that your anger reveals how zealously committed you are to the purposes of your own kingdom or that the troubles you face in your marriage, big and small, are not so much hassles as they are opportunities? Those mm, are great questions. Great question. Trip has kind of six pillars in this book about um, how to build a, a good marriage. And really, I think those are a super helpful compass to like point us towards intentionality, that intentionality that we're looking for in our marriages. It gives us something to aim for. And so I just wanted to walk through those and we'll have some practical you know, ways to implement them as we walk through them. Yeah. So So what's the first? The first one is give yourselves to a regular lifestyle of confession and forgiveness. All right. Now listen. That's not easy. No, but (laughs) forgiveness is the core of the gospel. And if we cannot forgive each other, then we don't understand the heart of what Jesus has done for us. I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, you know, if you can't forgive others, God won't forgive you. He's not saying like there's this cosmic tit for tat. Mm-hmm. I think he's saying like you don't get the gospel. Yeah. If you can't if you can't forgive someone else cuz that's what that's what's happening for you. And you don't understand what I've done for you. Right. So is this forgiving kind of going back to our boundaries podcast? Somebody is doing something to you over and over and over and over and over again. Are you supposed to just forgive them over and over and over and over and over again? Yeah, you have to. But that does not mean you leave yourself open to that situation over and over and over and over again. Okay. So you got to free yourself from the unforgiveness. Like, yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. But if you revisit that repentance, forgiveness, restoration model we've done before on our podcast, built into that is the safeguard to for it not happening again. So let's walk through that. There you go. Yeah. So you are confessing, hey, I've done this really dumb thing. I'm really sorry. I know it's hurt you. I want our relationship to be better. Will you please forgive me? I'm giving you that power. And then what can I do to make it right is the key. It's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I'm not doing that again. I am vowing that's not happening again. You tell me what, what will make you feel restored. Right. So in the trust episode, we use the example of taking out the trash, Mm -hmm. just something simple, right? That can be broken. You ask your husband, Hey, Hey, as part of your helping our house run well, will you take the trash out when it's full and be sure that it's like down at the street on trash day Mm -hmm. so that it gets picked up because that is really bad in the summer in the South when it does not get picked up. (laughs) (laughs) It's so bad. So 
if he forgets to again and again, and which I can easily use this one because David, you have not done this to me. Mm-hmm. So I can just say it. Um, if you forget to do that or you fail to do it, it erodes trust. And, and now you actually have something to forgive because, because now it's like, okay, it's not just about the trash. I'm feeling like I can't lean on you to help me run this house the way we've agreed it needs to be run. Right. And what you're, what those actions are saying is that, eh, I don't really care so much about you. Yeah, You can take up my slack. You can do it just as easily. I've got better things to do. Yeah. And I, and so you've got to, yeah, communicate. Not only do you have to forgive, but the other person who's broken the trust has to communicate how I'm going to make it right. Well, you can just make it right by doing it. Yeah. That was easy. Just do it next time. To continue with that gardening analogy, the Bible is very clear. What you plant, you will harvest. And oh, I loved his quote on page 79, which he says, no change takes place in a marriage that does not begin with confession. Confession is the doorway to growth and change in your relationship. How freeing. Yeah. How freeing. Now, you were raised Catholic, Bonnie, and I love the Catholic um, discipline of confession, which you said, like, as a kid, okay, you made up stuff to, to confess because you didn't feel like it. But but un- let's unpack that because it is, I believe, the the gateway to growth and change. Confess right. your sins to one another. We're told in scripture. That's what we're told to do. Yeah. Um, and I think it is a good discipline because just like I think certain communities, like the Amish community, is so good at um, forgiving and laying down themselves because they're good at giving things up. That's just part mm. of the fabric of who they are and how they live everyday life. I think um, communities like Catholicism that um, practice confession on a regular basis are kind of, that's what they're trying to teach you. Like that, this is the fabric of our everyday life. We're not going to celebrate with each other until we first grieve with each other. Mm. And I don't think we do that well as a community. We have a no. really hard time of saying, I'm sorry. Look at the news. We're, con- you know, we're either forcing someone into an apology that's clearly not sincere, or um, people are stumbling painfully through an apology that they really don't mean. <laughs> yeah. So a real confession is what we were just talking about. I'm distraught that I have damaged our relationship, mm-hmm. and my main goal is to fix that. I mean, I'm thinking of, <laughs> you're making me think of crime TV. I love some crime TV, TV, true crime, which your husband says is terrible for me to watch and is probably true. <laughs> but that's what they're always going for, right? They're going for a confession. Oh, yeah. I need you. I, I, how, what can I do? How can I trick you? Mm-hmm. How can I wear you down to confess? Um, because justice can't move forward Yeah. well until you get a confession. But it's yeah. not having you over a barrel. It is, I mean, real mm-hmm. confession no. is... The thing that's going to free you. Yes. Surrender and confession is the thing that will free you from all your bondage. And you can um, go two ways wrongly in this. So you can have an amicable relationship. So I would say that's how David and I tend to fall into. We're very compatible and Mm -hmm. we don't really have a lot of conflict just by nature. We're very similar personalities, which is unusual in a married couple. And so we see things the same way. So my default is to not confess because it's usually not a huge deal. There's not a big blow up happening. Mm. That does not mean it's not damaging. Oh, that's a good point. It's, does that, it's, it's just as damaging. It's maybe a slow 
a slow disintegration mm-hmm. in some way. But then you've got the personalities, which is a lot of people, I think, where we're so different. Yep. And they really see things differently and things get hot real quick. Mm-hmm. But I've talked to several of my young moms that I mentor, and they have testified to this, that just dealing with it right then, confessing, oh, I got way too loud about that way too quickly. Yeah. Please forgive me. Oh, my goodness. Clear the air. It's just a practice. It's going to be like anything new that you're trying. It's going to be really hard the first few times if that's you, if you're the hot ones, which I'm raising my hand here. You know, you can't see it. That would be me. (laughs) It's really, really hard for a while to lay yourself down like that. Mm-hmm. And I read an article recently that if forgiveness is really hard for you or almost impossible, um, a lot of times that stems from a really low self-esteem. Mm. And you're it's just painful to lay yourself out again and admit again that you're wrong because you're telling yourself that anyway. Mm. So it's kind of um, – comes not, across as pride and yeah, hard-heartedness. But it's really the opposite. Mm. So yeah. it's good to know that to give your spouse – some grace there and to maybe help them through. Like, I know this is hard for you. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but I'm I'm not gonna hurt you. Yes. I'm here. Yes. And this is this has happened in my in our young couples, I'll say both ways. You know, the husbands have because they're both they're all actually reading through this book. Uh-huh. And so they're they're and they're putting it into practice, a la James chapter one, not looking in a mirror and turning away and forgetting what they look like. They're actually remembering it and going, Oh right, I need to act this out yeah. in my marriage. And so, yeah, when the husbands get loud, they go, hey. Or when the husbands don't take the trash out, they're like, oh, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I want to be trustworthy in that way. So good. I just cheer them on because. What's the opposite? You're building up resentment, small little resentments. Yeah. And your rocket is veering from the moon. It's veering from the moon. Yes. So um, we'll just end with this thought on confession and forgiveness that – well, two thoughts actually. Be quick to offer forgiveness if mm-hmm. we if your spouse is vulnerable and asking for and it. asking for it. Yeah, don't hold a grudge. Don't hold it over them. It may take you a little bit to cool down. That's okay, but go ahead and offer forgiveness. And then also, forgiveness is a vertical commitment, the gospel between you and God, followed by a horizontal transaction. So. One way to test how much you really understand the gospel is how quickly even just you want to forgive. So say it's hard to forgive. Okay, that's understandable. Mm -hmm. But what's your desire to clear the air, to have things made right? Um, That's the question I've asked myself. And when I see that I'm like instantly wanting to be like, oh, no, no, we need to take care of that. We don't need to let that fester. That's growth right? for me. Because sometimes it starts out as instead of the desire to make things right, it's the desire to be right. Yeah. And I'd rather hold on to that than to clear the air, like you were saying. Yeah. So if that's what your inner voice is telling you, that's a red flag. Yeah. Repent. Flag on the play, and that's not helping your relationship. <laughs> of that wrong idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it is a powerful place to be when you feel like I, you're in the right and they're in the wrong. Mm-hmm. And you always have some emotional, relational capital that you feel like you can just pull out and trump exactly. anything else. But all this is silly language because in a marriage, you're on the same team. So yeah. who are you fighting? Yeah, you're fighting yourself. You're who right. You fighting? You're winning together or you're losing together. So to do to play all these games and, and be right and have to do all that is messing up the whole game. That's not what, it, that's not what the game is about. Okay, so uh, the second pillar 
mm-hmm. of being intentional in your marriage is to make growth and change your daily agenda. So going back to that garden, pull the weeds and plant the seeds. Yeah. So um, let's talk about the bad news before we talk about the good news of planting seeds. The bad news is you could be selfish. Um, you could be busy, way too busy, way too inattentive, too self-righteous, too fearful, too lazy. These are all negative habits mm-hmm. that hurt your marriage. Any of those um, strike a chord with you, Bonnie? Well, sure they do. Yeah. I th- you know what? I think in our empty nest sort of period, we I would say, just to be totally self-confessional here, <laughs> confessing, uh, inattention is mm-hmm. probably where we're at um, because – He's got his stuff and I've got my stuff and we kind of get into our zones of things and it's like, oh, oh, hey, I, I like, I didn't even know you were home today. <laughs> that's Same. not the best. Same. Yeah, that's definitely us as well it, because we were very intentional in our early years of marriage and raising our children. We were real intentional about communication and going on dates on a regular basis, talking face to face every day. And that created a great relationship and then the kids leave and that's kind of our, that was our focus Mm -hmm. for so many years, 20 years that we could be lazy about it and just be kind of coast and not really circle back with talking every evening and debriefing about our day or planning, planning a day because every single night could be date night. Right. We don't really have to schedule anymore. Mm -hmm. That's just not good. You cannot coast like that. Yeah. You can for a little bit. And then you're going to start to notice some cracks, some weeds. Yeah. Irritability. Mm-hmm. Things that are creeping in. Like, mm-hmm. where, where did that come from? Yep. But in our younger years, definitely selfishness, 20s, my entire 20s, was was breaking the habit of selfishness. Yeah. And busyness, I really fought in my 30s. Hey, busy, yeah. I don't want to be too busy mm-hmm. to pay attention to our marriage. Mm-hmm. So every season of life... You're going to have a different, yeah, perhaps habit you might lean into. Right, that's damaging. Right, so just don't let those go. Um, I know some young couples who I'm really proud of for doing some of this groundwork early. Who have decided, okay, well, we're going to work on this level, and and from year one, every year we're going to go to some kind of marriage um, conference or uh, class or something like that to plant those seeds. Great idea. Like Great it doesn't have to be a idea. lot of money. We're, in fact, it can't be generally when you're early married, but we're, we are going to invest. And, and compound interest, like anything else in marriage, when you're investing early, that is so much better return on the far end than if you wait until, you know, you're 40 years old and put something in that re- oh, retirement account. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tripp has such wisdom about planting seeds. I just want to read a quote from chapter eight. He says, I don't know if you have thought about this, but your life is shaped by choice points. No, I'm not talking about those huge moments of epic decision that we all know change our lives in some way. I'm talking about the thousands of little decisions in mundane moments of daily life that almost go unnoticed, but are actually what shape and direct our lives. The quality and character of a marriage isn't set in two or three grand moments of choice. You make only three or four big decisions in your entire life. No, the character of a marriage is formed in thousands of little moments of saying yes to one thing and no to another. It's the character developed in little moments that you'll carry into the big moments. 
of decision. So we just want to consider intentionality in our marriage. What are we saying yes to and what are we saying no to? Mm. That's in terms of how you spend your time, mm-hmm. um, how you speak to one another, mm-hmm. um, friends and people that you associate with, I would, as- I would assume, communities that you can belong to or not belong to, ways you spend your money. Oh, yeah. All of those things. I used to keep a couple of scriptures in my wallet just to continually remind me that you know, whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. Every little decision you know, that I'm making with my money is shaping who I am, mm-hmm. who I'm becoming. A question he asked that I loved is, how can you be a positive influence in the way your spouse thinks about himself or herself? I love that question. Yeah. And that's not just, um, I mean, of course it's appearance. Everyone wants to know. You look good. You look, I know I look good. You look good today. You're so cute in that. I love that outfit. But it's also um, like a, you've got what it takes. You are capable. Uh, all those encouraging words that you don't get a lot in the mm-hmm. world. In mm-hmm. fact, women in particular are getting a lot of the opposite from the world. So the more you can hear that from your spouse and the more your home can be a safe place to hear that, um, the better off you're going to be. Yeah. And just, it does not hurt. doesn't cost you a thing. Yeah. I, w- I mean, I was, as I was preparing this outline, I was thinking about that. Just self-reflection. How do I help David feel positive about who he is and capable? Mm-hmm. And it's a great feeling to know you have somebody who's got your back, who believes in you. Mm-hmm. And we certainly want to do that for our kids, but we also want to do that for our husbands and our wives. Yeah. Oh, so important. Yep, for sure. So pillar number three is work together to build a, a sturdy bond of trust. So be intentional in how you build trust. We had a whole podcast on trust recently. Mm-hmm. And it's a great one. It's one of my faves. It's a great one. I say that about all of them. They're so good. <laughs> Each one has some nuggets in there. <laughs> That's right. Um, so there's a questionnaire. I'm just going to throw out a few of these questions. Just rate your marriage. Be honest while I'm saying them. Is there more unity, understanding, and love in your marriage now than ever? Do you both do what you promise when you've promised it? Are you attentive to what your spouse sees as important? Do you make excuses for failures? Or are you ready to confess? Do you listen well? That's such an important one. Mm-hmm. That means put the phone down. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Look in their eyes. Do you carry wrongs around with you? Or do you trust one another to confront and confess? That's a good question. Yep. To, to back to the confession. Do, do you trust them that when you confess? It's going to be They're not going to lord it over you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you ever wonder what the other one is doing when they're not with you? Do you share with your spouse your thoughts, desires, hopes, dreams, and concerns? Or is it easier for you to be quiet or share with someone else? That's a really, really good question. That's a question I've asked myself through the years. Why am I okay sharing this with some this person but not this other person who I feel like I should be like very intimate with, whether it's my parent or my child or my husband? It's like I'm holding off a little section of myself from them. Yeah. Um, that's a that's a really good one. And that I said at the beginning, some of these things are resolved easily or maintenance happens 
pretty well mm-hmm. with just a focused conversation. And that's a great conversation. Yeah. Like what's, what do you see in the next couple of years? What do you see us doing? Where do you want us to be? Um, mm-hmm. Just ask some of those questions over dinner one night or whatever. Um, you might surprise yourself. And another good one is, uh, is your sexual relationship mutually satisfying or is it hard for you to give yourself to your spouse? That's a good one. And he added a whole section at the back of this book. If that's something that you are dealing with, he found that that was something most of his couples were dealing with that were coming Mm -hmm. to him. So he added an addendum in the back for that where he unpacks that some more. Yeah. There's a lot of good help out there. And that's a, that's a key question. Yeah. So and there's like, I don't know, 25 questions, 22 questions. So I just threw out a handful of them. So I encourage you, like, check out the book. Mm-hmm. Use these for some conversation starters. Yeah. I I loved, um, he asked this, this other question that I thought was good in the back of the book. There's a little study guide. And he said, what were some things you did well in the early years of your marriage? I love that question. So, you know, that's a long time ago for us. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you know what? We decided that our extracurricular stuff was going to have to be stuff we both like to do. We were going to have to lay down the individual pursuits just as a function of time. Mm-hmm. And money. <laughs> and, yeah, and money. Yeah, we did too. And we're going to have to do things we like to pursue together, which meant, you know, he laid down camping. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I did not like to camp. You know, or like golfing. We decided... Because I didn't golf, but I did play softball. Well, there, there was a co-ed softball team we could play on. And so we did that together instead of him playing golf all day on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was just us. I could have learned to pick up golf. You know, right. it, it doesn't have to be no, know, but all I, leaning one direction. Right. But it is, I, th- I would encourage younger couples intentionally to find something that you can focus together outward mm-hmm. on. Whether that's service at church mm-hmm. or in community or or a hobby, something mm-hmm. like that. Something that you can both come together and look outward together on. Again, just in terms of trust, he he really touches on um, a handful of things here that I want to mention. Straightforward communication as opposed to manipulative communication. Just say what you need. <sighs> yeah. You know, don't don't be circumspect. Yeah. Passive aggressive. Mind games. Mm-hmm. Keeping your word, fixing that lamp, having dinner ready when you said you were going to, facing up to your wrongs, which we just talked about in confession, mm-hmm. watching out for the other person. I love that. For a while, um, years and years ago in our marriage, David and I would just ask each other, is there anything I can do for you today? What do yeah. you need? Is there anything you need? Such a helpful question. And then just keeping short accounts. Right. Dealing with stuff as it comes up. Yeah. And if that's an issue for you, like conflict you don't know how to deal with it just take a time out and go say hey how about saturday <laughs> over dinner is that a good time for you to talk about this like you don't have to have a, a major blow up at the moment every time sometimes it's good to just take a break and step away and say and no okay you're gonna have time to think about it i'm gonna have time to think about it we're gonna come together later on and just deal with it then absolutely i mean especially if you've got kids in the mix and you might have to wait till they go to bed or yeah you know, yeah, family's over, company, mm-hmm. whatever. All right. Another pillar is committing to building a relationship of love. Well, this sounds easy. You're newly married. You should be in love anyway, yeah, right? So, but so in love. Well, you're in love with the idea. Yes. And uh, that, of that ouchy question at the beginning of <laughs> oh, love, what do I think love is? Is it you should love me as much as I love me? <laughs> I definitely fell in that camp. 
I so did. I'll just say it's okay if you do too, because you can repent of that. That's right. You can you cannot do that anymore. But I think um, we all have examples because we only know what we know. We bring into our marriage things that we grew up with, each of us. Um, what have we adjusted to as normal in our marriage that really shouldn't be? That's such a good question. Like look around, associate with others and see yeah. what really is normal and what is just your weird normal. Uh-huh. <laughs> Maybe there's some stuff you need to clean up. Because remember, you, you only know what you know. Mm-hmm. You came from one family, likely, and you didn't bounce around from house to house. So you, when you leave, every 18-year-old I talked to says this, I thought – yeah. Everybody did it this way. <laughs> right. I thought everybody fill in the blank. You know, I thought everybody's dad didn't help with the dishes. Mm-hmm. Or I thought everybody's dad did help with the dishes. You know, and multiply that by a thousand little instances. Right. That's why community is so good and healthy and important because you can kind of look not to say, well, so and so cooks mm. dinner for their wife every night. Not in that tone, but like, hey, this is a really interesting interesting dynamic this other couple has. I like this about them. Maybe we can try that. Yes. And that is so true. And you don't have to be an intimate relationship with people to pick up on stuff. David and I, mm. there were people we looked at that we were maybe in relationship with for nine months or a year. We moved away, you know, after college. But this marriage, like, it impacted us. And we really liked right. how they did a couple of things. And we took that with us. Yeah. So, so helpful. Shamelessly steal from other people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I really found the Love Languages book, which I guess is kind of ubiquitous now. Most people have heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, to be helpful. It sounds kind of silly. I was thinking about this last night as I was pondering this podcast and this conversation we were going to have because I used to keep David's Love Languages on a little card mm-hmm. in my purse. That just seems ridiculous now because I know it so well, but I didn't know it then and I needed it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. Like you have to start somewhere. If you don't know that stuff, then figure it out. You should be the expert in your spouse. Yes. I love that. You'd be a a student of your spouse. So those love languages are words of encouragement, physical touch and closeness, acts of service, gift giving, and quality time. No, we we all have a couple of ones that pop to the pot top. Mm-hmm. Know that. Right. Um, and be on the lookout for signs of drought in your marriage. Is there a lot of misunderstanding? Are you a separated a lot? Yeah. Running in um, parallel tracks like a train track, yep. but not really ever converging. Right. We had a time where I was like, okay, dude, we are married singles right now. We need to come back together and figure out what <laughs> what's what. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we, we had a couple of periods in our marriage that were like that. There can be um, physical dysfunctions. There can mm-hmm. be conflicts. There can be disunity. There's there's all kinds of things, right? That so, can that can go on, that can create a drought if you just leave it unchecked. So droughts lead to forest fires, and we don't really want to do that. Only you can prevent forest fires, right? <laughs> That's right. So, um, yeah, take care of that early on. Address it when it comes up. Don't let it fester. And it's w- worth noting that. You know, Jesus is our model for love. And so that is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation. You know, Jesus hopes for reciprocation for our good, but he he came into a human body knowing that not everybody was going to reciprocate. Mm. Right. 
So it's hard. Do it anyway. Yeah. Do it for the good of the other person. Yeah. yeah. And he, Tripp writes, um, I love this line, perhaps one of the most unrecognized sins in marriage is the sin of forgetfulness. So the question was, how have you been forgetful of your spouse and how can you change? That's, that's something intentional you can do. Okay, think about how have I been forgetful and what can I do? Hmm. Yeah, did you forget the way what their love language was? Did yeah. you forget there even were love languages? Yeah. Have I forgotten to pray for my spouse? Have I forgotten what joy they have when I do such and such? Mm. You know, um, it, when you're getting along, it's easy to do that. Yeah. It's not just easy to do it when you're not getting along. It's easy to do it when you are. Yeah. Those are all really, really great points. Mm-hmm. All right, what's number five, Bonnie? Five is to deal with your differences with appreciation and grace. Um, okay, this is what usually brings you together, right? Oh, opposites attract. Sure. They see they see things so differently than me. It's so fascinating mm-hmm. until it's not. <laughs> <laughs> right. So this is goes back. I mean, we had four episodes of our podcast on color, personality colors, personality types, that kind of thing. Um, this is exactly what that is. So. N- Neither one of you is right or wrong. It's just different. I have a hard time with that sentence right now, hearing (laughs) you say that. Have to celebrate those differences. Uh, My husband is a thinker. He's in his head a lot. He sits and thinks and ponders and reads and does things. I'm an action person. So I'm going to be out in the yard. I'm going to have a list. I got to work through the list till I get them all checked off. So... He's like, why are you so frenetic all the time? Why are you making up things to do? And I'm like, why are you just sitting there doing nothing? <laughs> There's so many things to do. And that can cause friction. Yeah. It has a lot of friction yeah. over the years. So we have to appreciate each other's differences. And I have to know that he's not doing nothing. Right. He's sitting there. Right. There's some conversations and negotiation that have to take place. But yeah. So we were just talking earlier before this podcast. David's an action person and practical what does it mean? What does it mean? Mm-hmm. Boots on the ground. What does it mean? And I love theory. And so that was a little source of tension, I, especially when we had our children. You know, I was like, oh, all these parenting theories. This sounds so interesting. <laughs> and he's like, okay, but what's it going to look like in our house this evening? Yeah. What does that look like? And oh my goodness, that was so good for me. I could have blown him off and said like, uh, you know, leave me alone. I don't want to talk about what it means practically. No, it's really helped me become such a better mother Mm. by him forcing me to think about, okay, how does that actually translate to my 18-month-old or my four-year-old or my eight-year-old? Very, very helpful. And it's made us such a great teaching team. So when we put a lesson together, I'm like, all theory. And here's like the, here's the skeleton of the theory. And he's like, let's flesh this sucker out. What's that going (laughs) to look like? We got to give him something to take home. So it's, it's, that's really been good for us. But yeah, I mean, some differences, like he loves guns, he loves shooting. You know, he hits, I call it his um, self funding hobby because he does lessons mm-hmm. to pay for, you know, this hobby that he likes. And I haven't really celebrated that difference all that much. Sorry, honey. <laughs> I was really convicted putting this together. It's like, you know, I'm fine for him to go do that, but I don't ever really want to go do it myself. Yeah. And so I'm not disdaining him, but I'm also not showing him love with quality time, which is one of his love languages by going and doing it on a, like by me bringing it up, he'll bring it up and I'll agree. Well, that's not the same. 
yep. as me suggesting. I'm hearing a couple of these things in my <laughs> heart as well as you are speaking these uh, things. So I'm going to have to make some changes this week, I can see. I but, just, yeah. I mean, I already just explained it away to myself. I was like, you don't like loud noises, the, the repercussion in your chest. You like yoga and peace. <laughs> And you like the crickets in the morning. And that's just not your thing. And it's like, well, too bad, Renee. You can go for an hour or two hours. Now you're going to listen to this because you listen every week, David. Thank you. Bless your heart. And you're going to take me up on it, aren't you? <laughs> Next Tuesday. <laughs> yep. 3.30. So, yeah. Appreciate your differences. It makes you stronger if you really can leverage each other's differences. Yeah. I mean, that's Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one. They have it, a good return for their work. It does. I know a lot of... Couple of young couples, couples I'm thinking of have one of them is really emotional and really uh, spontaneous, and the other one is very um, steady, yeah, stoic. Yes, not unemotional. Yeah, but they just come at a situation or a problem extremely differently. Yes, but complementary. But complementary. All right, and then number six, work to protect your marriage. Well, isn't that what we're talking about in general? Yes. But Paul Tripp makes a good point that most marriages are a combination of work and laziness. <laughs> so, you know, um, he, his question is like, where are you working and where are you coasting? Okay. Well, which we, I, we both kind of already said, empty nesting, it's, it's kind of easy to coast on our separate hobbies. It's, it's exhilarating because you have all this extra time. Yes. I freaking love the extra time. <laughs> It's just so fun to fill it with, with things for me after I've given yeah. to my family for years. And I ha still feel like I have all this to offer the world. I want to go develop this and go learn about that and go try this thing out. Right. And mm -hmm. That's all great and everything, except when it's to the detriment of our marriage. Yes. I, like, like, like that train track again. We have this old um, tandem two-seater bike in our barn. Which oh, yeah, you and I have tried before. Check out the website, people. <laughs> There's some pictures on there, and that's what this reminds me of. Is um, a lot of time Bob and I occasionally will ride it around the neighborhood, and he usually is in front steering, and I'm in the back. Well, when you're in the back, you cannot pedal, and the person in the front doesn't necessarily know. <laughs> So that's what this reminds me of. It's where are you working and where are you coasting? Because oh. yeah, occasionally then you'll get to a little incline and he's turning around going, hey, like, yeah. your feet are not even moving. <laughs> so yeah, oh. it's a combination of work and laziness as you're on this two-seater bike. You're both trying to get to the yes. same place, but you got to both put in the effort or it's, yeah. yeah it's no not going to work out well. I would just say, put your money where your goal is. So, yeah. you know, you can figure it out. We had to figure it out. We had to have date nights. And I really need one a week. Mm -hmm. I don't know how people do like one a month or something like that. I would have shriveled up and died because quality time is my number one. Exactly. Yeah. And so we were we were like, okay, we're going to figure it out. We're going to pay for a sitter, which means we can't have a date that costs money. And, we, and we'll figure that out. Or we would get free babysitting and we could go do something that costs money. And we figured that out. And you know, just figure out what you need to do to work on your marriage. That was for us a non-negotiable. Mm -hmm. um, I think another critical thing you need to do is pray for your spouse. Like you said, that's, mm. that's think something that we forget a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but you also, I so encourage young couples to start this early, especially if this is not something you're used to doing, um, is to pray with your spouse. 
and to have them hear your heart that way and to you hear his heart that That's way. That's why you don't want to do it earlier. because you will. It's It'll intimacy. come out. Yeah. It's, it's hard. Well, you, maybe you've done that before in your dating relationship a little bit, but then you, um, yeah, in the practice in a marriage, shoot, those are the conversations that are happening right there. You prayed about that. Like, I didn't even know that was a thing. So yes. many of those things come yes. up and, and start great conversations. Oh, they do. And I, when I've not wanted to do it, it's because I feel neglected, like mm. not heard. It's like, no, I don't want to do that. You don't get to hear that. Mm, yeah. And that's what the very time you do need to do it. Yes. Yeah. Even just, even just a little bit, two, three, four, five minutes can, can really address, again, just don't let it fester. It can address and stuff that's, that's going a, on. A gentle way to confess to someone else mm. too. Just because you're letting God into the room, into the relationship at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's hard for you, confess it in a prayer. Everybody going to be praying this week. And then Bonnie, follow up. hear this. <laughs> let us pray. Yeah. I'm supposed to be like, well, I just walked in the door from work. No, no. Let us pray. <laughs> so oh, I love this phrase. Trip calls marriage a dance of sin and grace. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. I mean, we're married to imperfect people. We are imperfect people. Oh, I guess you're right, Bonnie. So cut each other some slack. Give each other the grace that we want. If we want want somebody else to love us like we love us, then give them grace like we want to have grace. Mm -hmm. A good marriage is a good marriage because the people in that marriage work to make it good. No accidents. There's no accidents here. Mm -hmm. It's intentionality. Yep. So set that stage early. Mm-hmm. Just do mm-hmm. it. That's right. It doesn't hurt. It really doesn't hurt. That's right. It's, it's for it's your okay. good. It's yeah. for your good. So good there'll be some references um, and resources on our website, justaskyourmom.com. Um, you can follow us on Facebook at Just Ask Your Mom and on Instagram at Just Ask Your Mom Podcast. And please go ahead and rate the podcast and leave us a review if you're listening. Better yet, you can subscribe so you'll get each new Monday episode. Send us your topics and suggestions at justaskyourmompodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on Just Just Ask Ask Your Mom. Mom.